Miami Hurricane fans. This is Christopher Stock, and I'm here with David Lake, and this is the Inside the U podcast. We're back for another podcast. Thanks for listening. We're now on iTunes, so be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. Also, be sure to visit InsideTheU.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at InsideTheU. It's a big week ahead for the Canes as they host Nebraska on Saturday. Miami is coming off a 44-20 win over Florida Atlantic to prove to 2-0. We will review the FAU game, preview the Nebraska game, and answer some of your questions. But, but before we get into all that, let's talk about injuries. The Hurricanes lost linebacker Darian Owens for the season with a knee injury. David, you had an interesting observation on Owens leading up to the game. Yeah, it's tough to see a guy get hurt like that for the season. Going in last week in practice, going into the FAU game, Darian was definitely nicked up. Uh, walking around, limping, uh, looked like a knee injury. He was in a yellow limited contact jersey for the practice, so he was definitely dealing with something going into the game. I don't know if it has anything to do with with this season-ending injury, but uh, he certainly wasn't wasn't doing well going into the game. Uh, in terms of what this injury means, it, it elevates Tyreek McCord into his role as strong side linebacker more. Um, you know, we haven't really seen Tyreek receive that many reps at strong side linebacker, so it'll be interesting to see what he does with, with the position. We've seen him more as, I guess, a third down pass rusher. But what, what do you expect to see out of Tyreek for the rest of the season? Well, he was someone that I thought that could have had a good senior season. He's someone I like. He's someone that I've liked over the last few years. He seems to make plays. I always felt like he should be on the field more. I thought he would be someone... That the defense, uh, defensive coordinator Mark D'Onofrio would trust. I thought he'd be a guy that that you'd see in nearly all all snaps or you know the majority. And it was kind of a surprise to me that you know he hadn't won the job and he wasn't a guy that they thought of as highly as I did. But yeah, I think he's a perfect opportunity for him. You know, however it comes, you know Owens down, so McCord gets in, and however he gets his opportunity. So I think it'll be important for him uh, just to step up immediately. This is obviously a big game for him. Other injuries. Uh, Stacy Coley and Braxton Berrios. I, I think Stacy. We've heard he's practicing this week. I expect Stacy to play and be fine. Braxton sounds like it's a little bit, bit more questionable. Uh, personally, I don't think he'll play, but I could certainly see if he does. Yeah, Stacy talked after practice this week, and uh, he said the the hamstring thing has been something he's been dealing with uh, all summer. So he's kind of been managing it all summer, and then it just kind of tweaked on him in that season opener against Bethune-Cookman. And now he says he knows he, he has to be more careful with it, has to do more stretching. He's going to need to do more to stay warm on the sideline during games, so he's going to be riding the bike a lot to, to keep that hamstring warm. But he's he's a full go. He's He was fully dressed up for practice, and he said he probably will not handle uh, punt return duties. He said Corn's been doing a great job with that, so he's going to keep rolling with it. But, you know, expect to see Stacy uh, a full go at receiver, which, I, I mean, they definitely need him. Yeah, they definitely need him. I think it's going to be interesting just to see what kind of season he's going to have. Uh, you know, he's, he got off to a slow start uh, already, uh, just two games in, missed last game, and uh, he's trying to reverse everything from last year. It'll just be interesting to see what kind of season he's going to have. Is it going to be closer to his freshman year? Is it going to be somewhat closer to his sophomore year? Certainly has ability, heard the good things about him in the fall. 
Um, but it'll be interesting just to see how much. And, and then this hamstring, if this has been bothering him since the summer, how much is this going to linger? Yeah. Will it linger all season? Hamstrings don't go away, so it's certainly something to monitor. I mean, it's something he's probably going to have to deal with all season. Um, you know, I guess they get a little bit of a break after this Nebraska game with uh, Cincinnati being a Thursday night game the next week. So maybe you can rest it up then. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Stacy, they – We've been very clear where we stand with Stacy. We think he's the most talented receiver they got. And, uh, you know, it seems like with the, the short passing game that Miami wants to implement this year, Stacy has the most wiggle of any of those guys, really, that they have at receiver. Yeah, definitely, and he can get downfield. So I'd like to see him just get the ball more. I'd like to see him a bigger focal point uh, of the offense. And, and we'll see how, how the hamstring goes. And, like I said, I think he'll, he'll play – for, uh, play Saturday against Nebraska. Another guy that came back uh, and practicing this week was Jawan Young, a young linebacker that they that they like, uh, someone that they could that could step in uh, in a reserve role. I think he'll get reps though. I don't I don't know how yeah. much he'll play. I think he'll play. I mean, yeah, Jawan. Well, Jawan coming back could could tie in too with Darian Owens' injury in that. So, the depth right now at linebacker is not great. You got Tyreek McCord. At strong side behind him's kind of a question mark. They're saying Mike Smith. They might even move Trent Harris there, which I don't like because I don't want to see Trent Harris go backwards. He's more of a rusher than a linebacker to me. And so I think what they might do, they might toy with, is you know if they feel like Jawan Young is good to go, ready to go, they'll play him at middle, and then they might move Kirby over to strong side some to spell Tyreek. And Kirby's played strong side in the past. Sure. Yeah, they like to rotate their guys, no doubt. Um, let, let's let's get back to this FAU game. Let, let's talk about this. What you saw, David. You you take pictures for us during the game, and you're down on the field, so you have a different perspective than most people, uh, and certainly most writers that cover the team, because you're right there and you you get to see different things. I'm up in the press box, and you pass on certain things to me and things you notice and and things. It's very interesting how, how you see the game and then how I see it, and also. Not only do we watch the game when we're there, obviously, but then we both go back and watch the game over again, and I, I certainly watch the game over again, and uh, I watched the Nebraska game, so I was busy watching games. Um, so we'll talk about Nebraska later, but FAU, just what was your initial impressions? I mean, it's it's 2020 at one point. Yeah. It, I guess the biggest thing people want to is that is it a concern, or was it more of an aberration? Auburn obviously had a tough time with a lower opponent last week, yeah. and, and those games kind of happen. You see that, but... Do you see that? Is that with what happened with Miami, or do you think there are concerns? I think it's a concern because um, the place where Miami really struggled in that first half in particular is on the line of scrimmage, and that's a place where Miami should never struggle against a smaller school like FAU. Miami has, you know, Miami has the ability to recruit much better athletes on the offensive and defensive line than FAU does, and just the eyeball test, it's not even close who's more physically impressive on the line of scrimmage between Miami and FAU. And that goes for both the O-line and D-line. And so in that first half, I mean, you know, Miami held a 20-17 to 17 lead at halftime. Uh, but in that first half, FAU was whipping Miami on the, on the line of scrimmage. And they were getting gashed. I mean, it had to do with, uh, you know, Miami being out of their gaps and just missing tackles. Uh, but certainly, I mean, the defense... The defense in particular is still a concern because it, it appears like nothing has really changed in terms of stopping the run and specifically stopping a zone read attack. 
Yeah, there, there's no reason for Miami to struggle so so much defensively, especially against the run. I mean, the two big runs by Jay Warren, he had a 46-yarder and a 33-yarder, 132 yards, 11 carries before he gets knocked out of the game. And, and the, the concern is Jay Warren did that. What is Dalvin Cook going to do? What are some right. of these other premier backs that Miami has to – what is Georgia Tech going to do? I mean, a power five running back finishes both those runs for touchdowns. Yeah, no doubt. So – uh, we'll talk about those plays, what we saw in that. I, I guess first starting with the defense, an issue that we've seen under this defense since they've been here is is how they guard the slot receiver. I yeah. want to talk about that. We, we've talked about it before, but and fans always wonder, why are the linebackers and sometimes the defensive ends guarding the, the receivers in the slots? Why, why are you playing a package that looks like you could just throw – uh, an extra defensive back in, sub him, sub the linebacker out and do that. Why not put an extra safety? Because they have so many safeties. Why not put a safety yeah. there? But that's not their philosophy. They want to put – David, it was early in the game. I saw Trent Harris guarding a receiver on one side and Tyreek McCordon guarding a receiver yeah. on the other side. I mean, they're usually very, it's just one, but I saw two at one time. They're very stubborn with first and second down. They're going to go – they're sticking with their 3-4, and they're not going to bring in an extra DB to, to cover – a slot guy, if you know, on first and second down, if if a offense goes three or four wide, Miami's going to stick with their linebackers covering these these receivers, and they hope they can reroute them, or they hope that you know they can cover a zone. Uh, Miami will bring in an extra deep, just one DB um, on third down in long situations. They have that third down package, but certainly it it's something that if a team has a capable quarterback. It's something that an offense could take advantage of with Miami moving forward. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into more about Nebraska, but we're talking, you know, they've got a, a good receiver, and why not just put him in the slot or any of these teams with a good receiver, just put him in the slot and, and make and force Miami to do something different. And if they don't, I feel like the team could really expose that. And, and my, I feel like Miami's getting off the hook for the most part. Now, they are getting beat, and that's when fans are noticing, well, why was he even guarding them, him in the first place? But they're getting off the hook because in college football, you don't see – you don't always see premier passing attacks or, or teams that really exploit weaknesses, and I think that's something that they that a team could exploit and go after rep after rep and just stay with it, like what you see in the NFL quite a bit. Yeah. You find a, a weakness, you'll see a team really stay with it and really uh, knock I that would, out. I would say, too, that it also hurts their run defense because it stretches everything out horizontally. So you have McCord covering a slot receiver. You have Hare... Harris on the other side covering another receiver. That leaves a lot of running lanes. If a if a if a team wants to run the ball out of shotgun, it's not going to be that difficult for them to run the ball too. So, I mean, this has been this has been the deal with this defense now since you know this golden regime. It's really nothing new, um, but certainly it, it's still a big concern and still something to watch. Yeah, and it's not just Trent or Tyreek, it's not like they excel in that. We've seen Darian Owens do it. We've, we saw Jermaine Grace, who makes a little bit more sense with his speed and uh, a little bit more agile there. But they, they'll just, whoever's in, they'll put them in and, and expect them to guard a receiver. We, we just see that. And um, I, again, it's a cause of concern moving forward because you can get exposed that way. And it hurts the rush defense. Let's talk about the, the, those big plays, yeah. David. Those, those two runs, again, Jay Warren was the star of the game at the time he left. Yeah. Uh, what did you see on those runs? I I wrote in my notes, you know, just exactly <laughs> watching those plays yeah. over again and, and so listing the people making mistakes. It was a hand. It was like literally five guys. So it start the first long run. It starts with Moten being out of his gap. Then Kirby 
takes a bad angle, gets caught up in the D-line, just got caught up in the trash there. Then Dion Bush takes a bad angle, and he swoops around and eventually chases Warren down. But before that, Dallas Crawford misses a tackle in the open field. So it was just a complete mess. I mean, and the second Jay Warren run was more of the same, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a complete mess, just missed tackles all over the place, bad bad angles, being in the wrong gap. I know a lot of people are, are getting on Dallas because he missed, you know, on both of those long runs, he missed an open field tackle that would have cut the game maybe to 20 yards instead of 40 and high 30-yard gains. Um, but yeah, I mean... Look, it was just a total defensive breakdown. I mean, I don't know what else you can say. Yeah, it definitely was. But it's interesting that you – sometimes we – and I know the the coaches, they'll say, you know, they kind of have the philosophy if one guy messes up, then uh, it can throw off a whole play. But, again, we're talking about defensive line messed up. You're talking about linebackers and save. Yeah. You're talking about Each all three level, level yeah. of mistakes and resulting in big plays. Again, it's a cause of concern moving forward because there's going to be better talent, better players, yeah, better teams. Yeah, it's FAU. That's the concern. One thing I couldn't understand, that 46-yard run and, and watching um, you know, watching Kirby and Bush sweep to the outside is there was a – the play was designed. It seemed like a pretty easy read in the sense that they, they send a fullback up the middle – the blocking schemes of the offensive line, I mean, it was very – you, you could clearly tell where the ball was yeah. going, and that's the thing that I couldn't understand. Is, well, yeah, is seemed... Mo Moten made the first mistake, but it should have been relatively easy to clean up. Yeah. I didn't think it was anything crazy. Yeah, and, and definitely. And then the next the next one, uh, you know, Darian Owens dove late, for, you know, same kind of thing, dove late from the inside, you know, from coming from the outside. You know, Moten's in there. Hurtalu, Kamalu, you know, the run went right between them, you know, sque squeezed through the middle again. You know, Jermaine Grace had a chance, but he got swallowed by a blocker. Again, you mentioned Dallas Crawford missed another tackle. And uh, hit. we talked about Dallas before. We've been talking about Dallas, but I thought you, you saw some of the signs, that some of the things we've said before with him. Yeah. Not a great open field tackler, uh, struggles a little bit uh, athletically, and I think you saw that as well. Well, that's display. the thing with Dallas. I mean, he's a great guy. He's definitely a leader type. But if he can't even make a tackle in the open field, what's the point of having him out there? Because we already know he's going to be limited in pass coverage because of his side and size and speed limitations. So I think at this point, I mean, if, if Miami's going to be smart moving forward, they should just run with their three safety rotation of Rayshon Jenkins, Jamal Crawford, and Deion Bush. And we've seen Jamal and, and Rayshon make plays. Um, you know, Jamal forced the fumble. That changed the game, really, against FAU. And then Rayshon Jenkins has two picks in two games. So I, I, I would like to see that moving forward. I don't know if we will see it this week at Nebraska, but maybe Nebraska will be the game that changes all that. Yeah, I thought Jamal Carter's was uh, his defensive play was the play of the game, knocked out Warren, changed momentum. Um, also, just such a big play, and, and somebody needed to step up. And, and I thought Jamal uh, definitely deserving of being a defensive player of the game. Uh, especially, you know, we saw Raphael Kirby got the game ball according to UM, and I thought should have been Jamal. Yeah, I thought Raphael struggled. I, I was kind of surprised when they said he had 12 tackles. I, I, again, we're talking about big plays, and we see him missing and and things like that. There were some other things that we saw in the game also that he missed on. When we talk about Rayshon Jenkins, uh, there was there was they had the Warren's touchdown run. It was a nine-yard touchdown run, and I thought on that play again that. It wasn't. It was only nine yards out, but I felt like that one could have been a big play if you know sure. the end zone wasn't there. But I, I saw Rayshon 
he just filled the gap incorrectly, and he should have made the t came up and made the tackle. And it, but he got swallowed by the blockers, and and I and I think it was just disappointing to see the the, the safeties. I mean, Jamal has a big hit, yeah. but again, that's 16 yards downfield on a third and 16. It was and he gets such the first a, that Jamal play was so big because they were it was third and 16, and they were going to get that first down, and then it gets Miami the ball back. They it knocks out their best player. Let's not forget that. And Miami gets the ball. I mean, one thing I'd like to talk about is the turnovers Miami got, where the offense took the ball over from those turnovers, and the lack of points that Miami was able to get out of those plays. They turned. The, they got essentially two turnovers because of the Jamal Carter force fumble and then the punt fumble before half. They got two turnovers inside the red zone, and they got three points out of it. That's just not good enough. No, and it's been a it's been a struggle in the past. I think that's the thing when we talk about why this game was a concern. It's not just one game or one half in a in a in a snapshot. We're looking at what we think about the team coming into the season, what we've seen last year, what we've seen with this team in general. That's why you feel a little bit. That's why I think fans were so concerned. It wasn't just oh the sky is falling because of one bad half or one half that wasn't as as good as it should have been. It's it's no. It's it's the seven losses last year. It's it's the 22 and four year. You know it's it's these kind of things that are adding up um, that that fans are getting more frustrated with and reasons to be concerned again with the defense. Um, you know the the coaches and they all want to sell you on the fact that they were 14th in total defense last year and and yardage and things like that, which we can talk about another time. But bottom line is they've got to be they've got to be better. They've got to be better to win bigger games and and luckily they were able to get um, get away with with the win uh, at FAU and. Um, some of the comments Golden made after the game, which really were interesting to me. You know, he just talks so much about expecting a big environment and all this stuff, and it's really hard to you, you hear the words, but you're hard to it's hard to believe them and 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 believe the same things he does. You're talking about a, an environment. Yes, there were FAU fans there, thirty thousand stadium record, a lot of students. It was exciting for them, but it was still I don't know fifty fifty split. I mean, there were plenty of Miami yeah. fans. It it wasn't overwhelming, and. And, and this stuff has to stop too. I, I think everyone, uh, no one takes you seriously when you're when you're hyping up an FAU team that won three games the year before and lost their starting quarterback mid-game, running right. back, and you just gotta win. You don't have to praise him the way that he does. And I think fans get a, uh, have a hard time when he when he does stuff like this. And we saw it with Randy Shannon when he would talk about the long walk to Duke. To Duke, yeah. Well, no, no one wants to hear that. It's bottom line is it's Duke. You just can't say these kind of things. And I think Al kind of keeps doing this, and it doesn't do himself any favors. Yeah, I mean, you understand. I understand why he does it. I mean, he's trying to give FAU credit, you know, for looking halfway good against his team. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got to understand the standard at Miami is you go out and you crush FAU. And, you know, this game obviously wasn't up to that standard. So when that happens, you just, you, you can't praise FAU. You gotta just say, we weren't good enough, you know? We gotta, we gotta be better than this, and this wasn't good enough. And just leave it at that. Yeah, and what's interesting too is we didn't hear that from the, the players either. That wasn't the mentality. It used to be like that. It used to be, 
you know, you'd win and, and it, it wouldn't go. Everyone knows when it doesn't go the way it should. Everyone knows that. But it used to be said, you know, you kind of felt like they almost lost the way they played. You know, just regardless of what the result was. But if they didn't feel like they played well, you kind of had that sense with the players. Now, there was none of that. It was a lot of like, we made second half adjustments. We pulled ahead. We overcame playing on the road. FAU was doing some things well offensively and just all this stuff. Yeah. And, and I think that when I one of the things that when I did my oh that big long thing that was real critical that piece I did in, in January one things I mentioned was you know I felt like this this program feels like they're one play away and and all these kind of things and I think they're just not realistic of what's going on and I, and I think this is another example of that of just not really realizing that there are issues that need to be fixed. Uh, moving forward, and they don't know how to address them uh, a certain way. Um, before we're going to answer questions from fans in a second, and we'll get into Nebraska because I know everyone wants to file FAU away, and let's talk about Nebraska big game. But let's talk about the the Miami's offense against FAU. What what did you see that you mentioned? The offensive line struggled. I know it felt like each individual offensive lineman were struggling. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't like one guy was really good. It seemed like I'd watch on the film and, you know, Isidore really struggled at times and McDermott was, I know, a guy that you watched closely. But just certain guys were struggling. What would you see in going in Going into the season, you know, everyone knew the big question mark with this team is the offensive line. And, you know, the first game they go out and handle their business against Bethune-Cookman and against that level of talent, you can't really tell if the offensive line is where it needs to be or not. So the talent level goes up slightly with an opponent like FAU, and we start to see some struggles. And I think that was a big thing that, that kind of limited the offense in the first half when, when things got bogged down is FAU figured out if we send some pressures, we can get to Brad. We can hurry things a little bit. And, yeah, I mean, Brad got sacked on a play where Danny Isadora, the best O-lineman, on the team got beat I mean he, he just whiffed on the guy and uh, you know I was watching I mean Casey McDermott got some work with the the second team and he he struggled at times getting his hand on a on a D end uh, but yeah I mean really the, the struggles were all across the board with the O-line and it's just a huge concern because as we've said before on this podcast it impacts the entire offense and I think that's a big reason why the passing game, I mean, really, it's not as crisp as as it needs to be or should be. And I think it's because of the O-line. Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. The, the thing with the passing game I've noticed, obviously, you look at the stats and you see they want to throw the ball to their running backs. Yeah. They, they want to put them in passing situations, uh, short passes, not necessarily just setting up screen plays, but just have them run routes, get them in one-on-one -on -one situations, and throw them the ball. And I, I was able to talk to someone that, that watched the game closely uh, someone that knows football more than I do, and I, I always like to talk to people that know a, a lot more than I do about the game, uh, and just to gather more information about what they see, and and I, I like to collect information from different people. One thing's obviously we see the catches by the running backs. One thing I was asking, could you tell, you know, could was Miami looking to throw to their running backs maybe even more than what we saw as results? or even you know the targets and things like that and it was it was evident to, evident to this person that yes in, indeed Miami definitely wants to throw to their running backs you can tell by their formations and and w with Brad and what he wanted to do so I think that's going to be something moving forward you're going to see yeah. Miami want to do that and I think that part of that has to do with offensive line and look they had success with that against FAU so they kept going to it um 
but FAU's linebackers are not athletic enough to stick with a Joe Yearby or a Mark Walton out of the backfield. So, I mean, that's an easy thing to pick on throughout the game, and Miami certainly did that. Now, when you step up your competition level to a Nebraska, is that something that that you're going to be able to rely on. I mean, you might be able to throw to the running backs, but it's going to it's going to be, you know, 3 and 4 yard gains instead of those long gains that that Yearby was able to bust out with his little angle routes against the FAU linebackers. Uh but yeah, I mean, in general, I mean, Herb Waters had a sneaky 100-yard game. I would say though, even though he had 100 yards, Herb had a lot of drops, and that was something that we saw at practice this week. Um, which we don't ever see anymore, sadly, is the receivers as a group hit the jugs machine after practice. Yeah, it's interesting when you say you don't see that very much anymore. I was able to, I talked to Kevin Beer, the receivers coach. One of the things I asked him, this was during fall camp, I asked him, you know, which one of your guys is working the most on his own, doing his own thing? Because you can always catch balls from the jugs. You can uh, set that up and get someone to, to shoot you the balls and things like that. And there's other things receivers can do. And I kind of asked him, like, who's been putting in the, the most extra work? And he said to me that, you know, n- no one is, essentially, no one is, and that they're, they're just doing what they uh, are supposed to do here at practice. The, 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 the things that they are, they're supposed to do, that they're assigned to do for practice time and those kind of things. And that surprised me in a, in a way, but also not in a way, because, David, we, we hear this, this kind of talk of, I, I always ask people that, you know, in the off-season leading into it, when they come back, hey, what would you do differently than your teammates? What were you doing to separate yourself, essentially? What were you doing um, to, to make yourself better? And, and it was just interesting to hear this fall and even in the spring that, you know, a lot of guys didn't do that that many extra things. They were, it seems like, and, and not necessarily that's the thing on the players, but it seems like the coaches want them to do. They, they have a, 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 a strict regimen. I don't know if that's the way to say it, but just like well, a, a certain plan for them. And it seems like they're expected to, to rest is also a part of their plan, and they don't want them overexerting themselves yeah. and maybe doing extra stuff. They're definitely not. It feels like they're not encouraged to do that. I, I just find that interesting, but it wasn't an exception. It feels like we've heard this before with guys. They very much, the team, the players, have very much bought into the whole trust the coaches mentality. And that, you know that extends to doing extra work. I mean, the coaches, like you said, they want their... Golden is very much into keeping his team fresh. Uh, and on the flip side, kind of to go on a tangent here, that that I've always wondered about the defensive struggles and tackling and kind of their the way that this team does not, under Golden, doesn't really practice tackling live i mean it's a lot of thudding every practice thud 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 the only time they practice they they go live and tackle is in scrimmages and i wonder first of all if that's something that goes on across the country more just more colleges are not tackling in practice to keep guys fresh if that's just a football thing now but certainly i mean when i see miami struggle to tackle like i do against fau that's always in the back of my head. Yeah, it's something we've talked about because it's changed here. It's changed. Yeah. That we, it hasn't always been like that. We've seen... Even Randy's teams, they would tackle a lot more in practice than Golden's teams do. Yeah, there's there's no question about that. Um, before, let, let's let's talk about Joe Yearby a little bit. Um, we're talking so much about being critical of the defense and maybe some of the struggles on offense. That we yeah, saw. But Joe, good to Joe, see. Yeah, clearly a bright spot out of Joe. 
Uh, d does your mind change on him, or what did you see from that? Because he certainly didn't have that kind of a game the first game. What did you see from Joe, and, and can you see that moving forward? Well, that kind of production's hard to see moving sure. forward. But do I think Joe may have cemented himself as the best back on this team this year? Yes. Mark Walton's very talented, but I, and he gets a lot of hype, but I still think that Joe Yearby is the best running back they got. He, uh, the thing about Joe is he hits the hole very, very hard. He's instinctive with finding the hole, and he just rams his way in it. And, uh, you know, we saw him be productive in the passing game, which... You know, we've never really seen him do before. No. So that was that's something he's improved on and worked on in his game, which which was which was good to see. But I mean in particular he's great at running out of shotgun. Uh the draws that they ran. He he uh exploited that with the FAU defense and personally I mean yeah, I think moving forward, Joe's the best running back they got. Uh, you know, assuming health. Yeah, yeah, it was good for Joe and happy for him. You know, he's one of those humble guys. He's had so much success before he got to UM. He was he was also one of those guys that uh, Big Pop Warner star before he even got to high school. So he's been on the spotlight, done well, and there's a lot of people rooting for him. Uh, and Mark Walton, you know, he had the three touchdowns. And one thing, after the game, I asked, you know, he was getting so much attention with these three touchdowns, but I wanted to ask him, you know, aside from those three scores, he was four, 42 yards, 14 carries. That's three yards a carry. I said, besides the touchdowns, you know, how do you feel like you ran uh, within the offense? And he said he felt like he did okay. Um, but he felt like, you know, uh, sometimes there were holes and, and there wasn't um, kind of a mix there. But, uh, you know, it was just uh, interesting to get his perspective on that. I think one thing to like about Mark that we saw against FAU is he ran hard. Like, he, he there was a, a few runs where there was three or four FAU tacklers against him, and he was still moving that pile forward. So I think, you know, seeing that kind of aggression was, was good to see out of Mark. Yeah. Um, let, let's kind of file this away with the, the, the FAU game, uh, move ahead to Nebraska. But before, but first we'll, uh, we'll get some questions from you guys. Uh, you can send them in on the message boards. Uh, there's a thread started there. You can send in your questions there that to be read. And also on Twitter if you just mention us and uh, ask your questions there, we'll read them. But here's just a few questions from, from people on Twitter. Uh, I'll ask you, David, some of these things, uh, see what you, your take is. But at Rawls MA, ask, you know, what are your thoughts on the offensive line, which we've addressed, but just your initial yeah, thoughts. not good enough. So needs to get better, needs to definitely improve this week against a much better Nebraska defensive line. So if we don't see this O-line improve quickly, I think it, it's going to get ugly quick. Uh, at Ed Sanchez 235 ask are the wide receivers having trouble getting separation I would say yes I think we're not really we're not really seeing the rece the receivers find any rhythm I mean a lot of these passes that they're getting thrown is screens really um, what do you think I mean uh, do you think that the receivers are doing a good job of separation yeah I think that uh, I think it definitely needs to get better I thought last week I thought the FAU corners did a good job staying with them there weren't a lot of opportunities I know 
Brad threw deep a few times uh, and just overshot Rashawn Scott, who pushed off a little bit on a play that wasn't called. But you know, so he got some late separation. Um, you know, Malcolm Lewis had a deeper pass that he wasn't able to come up it with. It could be too going back to the O line. Maybe there's just enough, not enough time. Not enough time. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. And those guys, you know, Rashawn's not known as a blazer. You know, Malcolm yeah, certainly sure. isn't. So maybe when Stacy's out there, he's got a little bit more speed. And certainly, you're not gonna, look. You're not going to see Philip Dorsett running around wide open uh, this year. You're not going to see a receiver like that. Philip had elite speed, and uh, you're just not going to see that with this. Yeah, year's this group. group doesn't have that. Um, another question again from at Ed Sanchez two thirty five ask. You know, since this is a big recruiting weekend, how do you think the the recruits will take the banners flying around the stadium. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I think obviously it's, it's you know, not great for them to see, but let's be real. I mean, recruits here know the deal. They know Al Golden's on the hot seat. They know it's put up or shut up time this season. So do I think it necessarily changes any, any recruits' opinions if they didn't know going in that these banners will be flying around? I don't think so because these recruits now know what the deal is with Miami this year. Yeah, they definitely do. I, I don't think I think it's just a. You can look at it different ways. The way a recruit could, uh, if a recruit's shying away from a passionate fan base that isn't accept. I mean, let, let's be honest. You understand why fans are upset. Like, yeah. And recruits should understand that too. Whether they should do should or shouldn't do banners or whatever that that's up for a recruit and other people to decide. Um, and then last question, at Gene Spo 69 asks, if Golden is fired, will the 2016 recruiting class fall apart? Sure. I mean, anytime there's a coaching change, the, uh, the recruiting class, you know, gets picked apart. That's part of the deal, especially the better players in the, in the class. So, you know, you look at the top half of the class, and other teams are going to certainly vulture those guys. I mean, Sam Bruce, he's kind of iffy anyways at the moment with Florida and his attraction there. So I, I would, you know, Sam Bruce, Jack Allison, Shaq Quarterman, Zach McLeod, those types of guys, Travis Homer, uh, Amon, Richard, uh, you know, those kind of guys, other programs are going to swoop in and, and get them. So, certain, but Big picture-wise, you can't worry about that. You want the right coach. You want the right guy for the job. So, sure, you sacrifice this first recruiting class. You hope he can keep it together. But if he can't, uh, if a change is made, then, you know, you, you deal with those consequences of the immediate recruiting class. All right, so we got done with the questions. We did FAU here. Nebraska, I'm excited. I, I enjoy watching... Um, Watching games, I've seen Nebraska. I watched the tape. I saw them play against BYU and South Alabama. I like to see, you know, it's one thing you hear as a writer. You know, you hear names and and what's Miami going to do? Is Nebraska as good? Well, I like to see. Like I like to watch. It, it amazes me that some people don't watch uh, the other games or teams. But yeah, I, I was excited after I finished. Uh, watching Nebraska, I felt like I had a lot of information immediately when it was over. I wanted to do the podcast right now. I felt like my head was going to explode with just information and this new team in Nebraska and what they have, yeah. um, the differences with Mike Riley and things like that. David, you've seen them too, watched them on film. What, what's your initial impressions of Nebraska? I guess, let's just talk about the offense. Yeah. New offense under yep. Mike Riley. How different is it? What do you see with the offense? It's a lot different. They're, um, 
They're definitely, and Tommy Armstrong, the quarterback who Miami saw last year at Nebraska, is a lot different running this offense. He's definitely improved with throwing the ball. Um, they're putting the ball more in his hands. They're more comfortable with him winning games, whereas last year it was kind of more of a zone read type thing, and, and they kind of just rode Amir Abdullah, who's you know a phenomenal running back. Um, but they kind of would, especially against Miami last year, they, they limited what what they asked of Tommy Armstrong. Uh, you know, he only threw for 113 yards last year against Miami. So I think this year, the, you know, they're, they're putting the ball more in Tommy Armstrong's hands. They are allowing him, this, this offense that Mike Riley runs is a lot of timing stuff. And Armstrong is doing great with it. They're throwing great out routes that require a ton of timing. He looks extremely comfortable running this attack. Yeah, definitely. And the thing you're going to notice, you're not going to see the same player. Yes, he's got the capabilities to run. You know, yeah. last game he made a, he showed you his option move, and he did a fake option, and then hurdled a defender. So he still has that athletic ability, but he's just not running nearly as much. He has nine attempts on the year. Yeah. Last year you mentioned he threw 13 times against Miami. He's averaging 35 pass attempts a game right. in his first two, and uh, it looks good. I mean, you wouldn't know that yeah. he's a, a, a runner first, but he, yeah, he was came into the season, you know. 53% completion percent, uh, but now he's you know he's he's at 63 in two games. So I would he's, he's say definitely a much better passer and, and has the ability. This isn't an exception. It looks like he's he can throw the ball. I remember last year going into the game, the feeling around Nebraska was kind of you know everyone knew Amir Abdullah was a stud, but the feeling was okay. You want to put the game on the quarterback. He's kind of shaky. Um, you know, you want to force him to have to win the game. This year, he's a totally different player. He uh, he can really throw the ball, and Nebraska is going to put the the ball in his hands to win the game. So, Miami, hopefully, they don't the team. Hopefully, they don't expect to see the same kind of player that they saw last year because Tommy Armstrong has made big improvements. Yeah, and there was a there was a big difference, and as uh, you mentioned that, just going back to the timing, you mentioned that. I mean. Miami's defensive backs are going to have to disrupt that timing. You know, jam yeah. them at the line. They're going to have to do something. And even if it's like a split second to run them off their routes, they're going to have to do that because it really is impressive with what they're doing. And, and Miami's corners typically, what we've seen in their defensive backs, they like to they typically sit back and keep everything in front of them. Well, yeah. Nebraska's going to either run out routes and get, get 11 yards or they're going to stop Quick and catch hitch. hitches. You know, or, you know, they're not afraid to do slants and all these things. So they're going to... They're going to take that, and I think they could just carve up Miami if Miami's not disrupting somehow, either jamming at the line or with the defensive line applying pressure, uh, which we have not really seen in the first couple games. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you hope the D-line can come to play this game. and, and kind of, Because Armstrong is still a streaky guy. I mean, he's, he's definitely more consistent than he was last year, I would say. But he's still a streaky guy. When he gets hot, he's really, really good, and... You know he can throw it with anyone, but he still has those those lulls, those spells where he's he's just off. And I think if you can pressure him, if you can make him feel some heat, then yeah, he can make some some bad decisions. Uh, you know he'll he'll rely on his athleticism and try and get balls off that he shouldn't really be throwing. Um, but yeah, I mean we'll see if if anything changes in terms of Miami sending more pressures or the D-line improving. But 
that's going to be a big key, just, just getting Tommy Armstrong off his rhythm this week. Yeah, Terrell Newby, the running back, had a big game, but let's talk with Jordan Westerkamp. To me, that's their best offensive weapon. Uh, it's a guy that Tommy feels comfortable throwing the ball to. What do you see from Westerkamp? Um, to me, you know, he's a guy that, you know, very good balance. Not the biggest guy, but he's definitely bigger than you think. You know, he's listed at six foot, 195, a guy that makes plays, a very good balance, and they move him around, but he's very, a guy. Very reliable. Um, seems to always get open knows he's he's very smart so if if armstrong rolls out westerkamp knows to roll with him and and you know that's the guy armstrong's going to look for if things break down he's going to throw it to westerkamp and he has amazing hands i think last year he had one of the catches of the season he caught it behind his back as he was going out of bounds uh you know westerkamp was a guy last year who mm -hmm. miami had to know about so he's definitely the number one guy uh, one thing i would ask if Miami's able to limit Westerkamp, what what would be Nebraska's counter in the passing game? Well, yeah, that's interesting because yeah, Jordan's able to do so much um, with his ability and things. But Brandon Riley leads the team barely in receiving yards. He's a guy that uh, you know six one one ninety five. He's a guy that to me when I watch him, very tough after the catch. He's not going to give up on the play after he catches it not gonna go down easy uh, not like he's not a blazer after the after the catch but he's going to fight for extra yards and he's a guy that, that made uh, that has made tough catches made some good catches um, in their offense catches in traffic uh, these first two games so I think he's more than capable of catching balls against Miami uh, and making plays and getting yards uh, the other one there's a couple other guys but another one I know that we've talked about before Alonzo Moore uh, is there another receiver, six-two receiver that they that they will use in, in running plays and, and can pick up uh, plays there yeah. in the running Mike, game. But also he, he's a little bit more athletic and he's a guy yeah. also they got to pay attention to. Mike Riley likes to do a lot of jet sweeps. He likes to do a lot of screens, whether that's his, to the to the receivers or to the running backs. So he likes to to keep a defense off balance, and it seems like the guy he likes most to use in those types of situations is Alonzo Moore. He's kind of a a faster straight line kind of guy. He doesn't really have much wiggle to him, but he can he can beat you in a straight line race. Um, so he's a guy. I mean, they're gonna run jet sweeps or fake jet sweeps all game with Alonzo Moore, and that's something Miami's gonna have to be ready for. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, with the running game, mentioned Terrell Newby. Uh, he's coming off a huge game. Uh, you know, over 190 yards, uh, 198 yards last week in South Alabama, and um, much different than what we saw the first game when they played BYU. Uh, the the running game in Nebraska, they they go 23 carries, 91 yards, one touchdown with their top three running backs against BYU. Um, and and it, the definitely those guys are not Abdullah. But what I saw with with Newby in the second game, and clearly the results were there. But he just he, he started to pick up more confidence and was running harder. Uh, he was a guy. He's got really good feet. Um, he made some really nice moves, you know, quickness, and he had a nice one-handed catch on a touchdown. He just seemed to be running with a lot more confidence. And one thing that I noticed, Nebraska likes to run the ball up the middle. And we talked about the FAU game with Miami, how they struggled uh, guarding runs up the middle. Uh, this is going to be another test because, uh, you know, with, with their three running backs, they're not afraid to run them up the middle. And then they, their backup, Amani Cross, is 240-pound running back, so he's going up the middle also. So that's definitely going to be a challenge for Miami. It's concerning because, you know, what we saw against FAU, 
and what we know about Nebraska. There, Nebraska, I mean, the offensive line is, is a question mark for them. But with that being said, they're still a better unit than what FAU presents on the offensive line. So Miami's going to have to deal with that. And the running backs are going to be more talented than what FAU was bringing to the table. So all that alignment stuff and being out of the, being in the wrong gaps with the UM defense against FAU, if they don't fix that, if they don't keep that fixed for Nebraska, it's going to be ugly. You know, one thing that you're looking at with Nebraska, they, they beat South Alabama. Okay, so they lost to BYU 33-28 in the open on the Hail Mary, and they beat South Alabama 48-9. And some people might look at, oh, South Alabama not the biggest opponent, and, um, you know, they, they ran it up and were able to do some things. But the thing is, South Alabama went to a bowl game last year, and it was 48-9. And I would argue South Alabama is a better team than FAU, yeah. a three-win team, and you saw how Miami struggled there. So don't just discredit what you, what you, the score and, and some of the stats that Nebraska was – the things that they were able to do because it was a South Alabama team. South Alabama had some guys that could make plays, and uh, Nebraska just punished them on both sides of the ball. One of the things, too, that I noticed – we mentioned uh, with the running, with the, their passing game, with the timing routes. They also like to throw a lot of wide receiver screens, and 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 one of the things I, I noticed last game. So they're doing a lot of wide receiver screens. Um, they're getting their their guys out there, and then uh, at a key play, they do a fake a fake screen, and then they they sent the other the blocker. They release them, and he goes deep for about 20 yard gain. So Miami can't fall asleep just thinking everything's screen, 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 because they will set it up for uh, a play downfield. Also. Um, the running backs are going to be used in the passing game the way Miami does. Um, they're not. They're they're going to want to throw them the ball again. They seem to like them better in screen type options to give them some more blockers as opposed to where Miami writes, likes to do the angle routes and set you up one on one. What would you way. say is the best way Miami could get Nebraska out of their rhythm? I think it's got to be something with Tommy. You mentioned that the pressure. Um, sometimes he makes some high-risk throws when he's under pressure. So yeah. Miami, I think, with blitzing, I think that'll be important for them if they're able to get some pressure that way because it just doesn't seem like they're getting much pressure with their front four or front three no. um, alone. It's all been blitzes, whether it's Dion blitzing, Kirby blitzing. I mean, in those first two games, it really hasn't been the D-line making much happening. No, and that, you know, mentioned we saw corn on a blitz before. Corn. You know, Jamal Carter. I don't know why that's not used more often as a as a safety blitz, just with how athletic he is, and obviously he can hit. So, I think that's a way. I think Miami's just going to have to, um, you know, they're going to have to be active with their corners. I think jamming. I think they're going to have to press a little bit more. And I think this might be a game where, again, yeah, where, but are they going to do that? Well, no. <laughs> I mean, why we don't see them make changes right. too much with their defense. What we've they seen, are what they are. Exactly. So, and what we've seen this year is similar to last year to the year before. This is just what they are and what they believe in. And they just, they're sticking with it. And they, they always feel like just keep repping it and coaching it and eventually it'll get better. And, um, you know, sometimes it's been disappointing because it doesn't feel like it's getting better. Um, and, and then, again, we're at year five or last year. You're, you know, when you're multiple years in, in your regime and your program, uh some of the mistakes that you see, like last week, we saw, you know, with, with the pre-snap adjustments, seemed to, the communication seemed a bit off. And I asked Al about that after the game, and he's like, "Yeah, that needs to be fixed." And it's like, "Yeah, we all kind of know. Yeah, <laughs> we all kind of know it needs to be fixed, and it can't be there. It's just, well, why does it keep happening? Why, why are you still seeing this?" So, um, 
Let, let's talk about the Nebraska defense because I think it's very interesting what Nebraska does on defense, and and I think that's going to be a, such a key for Miami because you know Miami's strength with Brad Kaya, yeah, um, he's a smart guy that um, that kind of you know that obviously he gets it and has had success. Uh, what do you see with Brad uh, in the passing game, and then what have you seen with Nebraska uh, with what they like to do to guard against the pass? So Nebraska is an aggressive defense. They run a four-three. And they are not afraid to blitz their linebackers on any down. First, second, third down, they will send one or two linebackers. And so that will force a lot of man coverage one-on-one with, uh, you know, the receivers on the outside. And then if there's a, a slot receiver, then the safety will man up that guy. So it's a high-risk, high-reward deal. Uh, they force quarterbacks to make a lot of quick decisions. Um but if, if those quarterbacks get time and are able to uh, wait for their receivers to, to get open, then Nebraska will be susceptible to some big plays. So, again, I mean, you know, that offensive line, such a huge deal this week. Um, because of that Nebra- that aggressive style Nebraska is going to be bringing this week. Yeah, there's no doubt there, there will be one-on-one opportunities downfield yeah. uh, for Miami's receivers. And, and we talked about, you know, we haven't seen that. We haven't seen no, that for Miami screens. to excel in the passing game. And this is a perfect example, a perfect time where you want to be clicking in the, the Miami passing game to be clicking in a game like this because there will be one-on-one opportunities downfield. Last week... Uh, against South Alabama, man, they really they had one guy, Daniel Davis, number 23 for Nebraska, uh, really struggled um, giving up deep balls. I mean, he gives up, he allowed two big ones in the game. He got beat a third time for a touchdown that was disallowed uh, on a penalty. And then he also had a pass interference downfield. I mean, it was just, this guy just had a bad game, and he's a guy that they relied on last year. Um, so it looks like, you know, he's an active guy. He has three pass breakups on the year, but he's a guy that, that really struggled last game, and, and he's a guy that Miami, um, obviously this guy struggles a little bit, but, you know, will he adjust? Well, what will Miami do uh, when 23 is out there? But he's someone to watch. You know, will he bounce back? Because if not, you know, Miami uh, with their receivers and Brad's throwing ability could really uh, go at him. I mean, again, I mean, we've seen this. we've seen this before. I mean, last year, first half of the Florida State game, Florida State pretty much manned up everyone against Miami's receivers, and Brad Kaya had a lot of success. The difference with that team is the offensive line was much more complete than this year's offensive line. So if Brad has time, he's going to be able to to make some big throws, you would think. Um, But again, I hate to harp on it, but the offensive line is such a question mark we just don't know what we're going to get from them this week. I I personally don't feel great about it. I, I mean, what Nebraska presents on the D-line is pretty impressive, particularly at D-tackle. They got two of the top D-tackles in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, Malik, Malik Collins is, is one of the top D-tackles in the country. So they're going to have their hands full, and, and those D-tackles are going to really limit Miami's run game, I think. Yeah, I think so too. And, and and their ends, I like their ends too. Greg McMullen on the end, and they got a freshman uh, playing also. Freedom, I think, is his first name. Uh, but just he's also done well too. So I think just the front four, you really like what you see um, from Nebraska. What they have are their four big guys, and and yeah, I think I think again with Joe Yearby and Walton, I think that they 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 could struggle with the running game just because of Nebraska's front four. And if Miami's not able to pass as well as they'd like. 
you know, they can really hone in on the run. And also, the linebackers are interesting for Nebraska. That was a question mark for them coming into the year. Yeah. But you saw good, I saw good things out of, uh, you know, they, they brought in a, back a guy, Rose Ivy, a guy that didn't play the first game, uh, but he played the second game, had 10 tackles, like a hard hitter right there in the middle, wears 15. Uh, so he's a guy, Josh Menderes, who who didn't play the second game, he was hurt, but I think he'll be back. I think it's something like yeah. your, your opponent. He's a veteran. I think he played last year against Miami. Yeah, so he, yeah and he's made plays. So he's a guy, that, I think a linebacker, they're fine. Going back to their secondary, you know, you mentioned Davis struggled. But the one thing, you know, Nate Gary's a guy yeah. for safety. He makes plays. He's had an interception each game, yeah. seven I think on his career. Uh, he's going to be looking for that, so you're going to have to watch him. And he's going to he sits in zones and he reads the eyes, and he's a guy that can make plays. But one thing I noticed too with their corners and their safety, all pretty good size. I mean, I think some of their corners, six one, you know, six one corners, they're they're doing that, and you know, they just seem to have good size at corner. Um, and obviously, sometimes they had struggles against BYU, who's thrown out three guys, three six receivers. Five. Yeah, yeah, six five. I think they're six five, six five, six six, or something. Yeah. Just so that was tough for them at times. That'll be tough for anybody. But BYU is a quality team. I thought, you know, I got to co- I covered the Miami Beach Bowl. They were here last year against Memphis, and I thought I was pretty impressed with what I saw with BYU. So that was definitely a formidable opponent uh, for Nebraska. The first game, even though they lost it, but I think Nebraska uh, is still. Clearly, they lost guys. You know, the, the you know the Gregor, Randy Gregory. You mentioned Abdullah. They've yeah. they've lost. You know, Bell's gone. But just uh, they've lost guys. But I, I think that they still present enough challenges um, to give Miami trouble, no doubt, this week. And and uh, what they've done well, I think, what they did well last game was such an improvement. Some, something they really needed, particularly in the running game, excelling. And obviously, the defense. They're hardly letting anybody run on them in general. Uh, one of the top teams in the country so far, two games in, but. I think definitely Miami has a, has a challenge it's, ahead of itself. It's a real test. And like you touched on, Nebraska has has faced better teams than Miami has. So they're kind of game-tested going into this game. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a huge game. Let's be honest about what this game means to Miami's season. Um, you know, if if Miami drops this game... They have to go at Cincinnati their next game. That's not going to be easy after a loss. Uh, And then, you know, you start getting into your ACC schedule. So this weekend's game is huge for the momentum of the season. Yeah, I think that's something that that concerns us in general, just with the momentum. Yeah, you're talking about at Cincinnati. Then you play Florida State and Virginia Tech, and then Clemson, and then Duke, at Duke. You know, and you're talking about just that, that stretch of the next six games here. Uh, I think I mean this is the bulk of the season, and and you're worried about uh, one loss becoming two because well we saw, we saw it last, it last year. year they lost four in a row yeah. to end the year yeah so um, you know wh- how will this team react if they don't play well I think that's why everyone thinks this is such a big game because they they need to win this to keep some momentum going forward and um, so so offense you'd like to see Brad Kaya hit some deep shots yeah they have to. This is, I mean, they, they have to because it's going to be open. I talked to Brad this week about uh, watching film, and he, he was he was pretty reluctant to talk about what he saw from Nebraska. He doesn't want to give anything away, and but he's such a, a smart kid, and he knows what he sees. He just didn't want to say it. So I pulled him aside and asked him, like, you know, not specifically. He wasn't going to tell me specifically with what I saw, but I was curious about his how he interprets film. And one thing he said is, 
uh, and he's watched a lot of the the games. He's watched Oregon State play where Mike Riley was at before, so he's been watching a lot and what to expect. But one thing he said, which is true, you know, the film doesn't lie. So what he's seeing, he has to be seeing these opportunities to go deep like we see. I mean, he, he sees yeah. it differently than what we see. So he has to know that those shots will be there. And I, I think it's just really important. And, and those one-on-one situations, hopefully Miami's repping that a lot in practice because, you know, you're going to have to go – these one-on-one battles against the corners, you're going to have to beat your man and, and get open, and, and that's where you're going to see. And if Miami's able to do that, Miami's able to, to stretch it uh, in the passing game, they're going to have a shot to win, I think. And then on defense, you want to see – you want to see Miami, either Armstrong comes out struggling, which would be great for Miami, and they don't have to do anything, or they have to create that kind of situation with Armstrong and kind of pressure him. Yeah, I've just been really impressed with what I've seen, to be honest with you. Yeah, him. he's I, good. He's good. I, I know he hit a little lull there in the, the BYU game in the middle of the game, but I think he's a guy that... Uh, clicks he seems to get the offense you wouldn't again you wouldn't yeah, notice he looks extremely comfortable yeah you right wouldn't here. notice that he was more of a runner than a passer so uh, i think that's about it um definitely appreciate you guys listening um we're gonna again keep doing this um again we're on itunes with the with the podcast so be sure to subscribe and and tell your friends this is a free thing that we're doing i know a lot of what our content is is uh, premium and, and requires a subscription there on inside the and we definitely appreciate everyone that that gets a subscription and believes in what we do uh, so thank you there uh, we'll talk more about recruiting um as, as a later podcast yeah. i know a lot of people want to know about that and our, get our thoughts on what they have who they're looking at and and uh, kind of what the future brings for um but yeah thanks again again inside you can find us on twitter at inside the U, and uh, thanks again for listening Thank you.